great to be back. We had a great time last week. If you weren't here last week or you did not get a chance to fill one of these out and get it back to me, I'll have Jason pass those out um, at the end, or you can pass them out even now. Um, but thanks again for having us back. We, we thoroughly enjoyed being here last week. We're excited to be back. We're excited to have Jason take us to some neat places in, in town to eat. There's a lot of good places to eat in Thomasville, so uh, we might just have to keep coming back just for that. But um, <clears throat> I want to thank you guys for your effort. It's, it's pretty neat to hear those announcements and hear about what all you guys are doing, not just as a, as a church body for each other to build each other up, but I, I love the idea that Jason talks about on Wednesday nights when you guys get outside the walls and, and getting out in the community. I just I think that's so neat. I know that you guys are making a great mark on the community, and I, I know that uh, if I ever got the chance to talk to people throughout the community, they would greatly appreciate the efforts you're making. If you remember last week, we spent the whole time talking about wills, the purposes of wills, why you should have one. And, and there's some other aspects that come with estate planning. I, I do want to go ahead and say that, that I think even if you have some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, some of the things that are a safeguard for your property, um, trusts, having power of attorney, all those things, I still think the starting point of all estate planning is to have a will. Even if it is just the most basic will, I really think you, you need a will. I, I think that, if anything, it can tie up any loose ends, and it just it helps you from dying intestate, which is dying without a will, and it helps you and your family stay in control of things without the state getting to call the shots. I think that is, is, is super important. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about trust, but as I did last week, and I don't have as much on this this week, but I talked a little bit last week about the biblical um, aspect of estate planning, that estate planning is biblical. And last week we, we talked about some scenarios with some biblical characters and how you could consider some things, their wills. Well, well this week I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have it, or, or just think about the story in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, where we know those stories very well there in Matthew, some of those parables, and we know the story here about stewardship. I'm sure it's a story. I know Jason really likes the book of Matthew, so I'm sure you guys have heard some talks on this, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's a story of the guy that, that has the gold, right? Has the coins, has the money, whatever you want to call it, different versions, call it different things, and he gives one guy five pieces of gold, another guy two, and the other one one. And we're told that they do things with it. Some go out and, and they make more money. They double it. The one guy buries it. And, and we take from that story that we are to be good stewards with what we're given. That, that everything we get is a blessing from God. Everything that we receive in this life is a blessing from God. And we're supposed to be good stewards of it. Good stewards of our time. Good stewards of our, <coughs> of our money good stewards of those things that, that we have that, that can bless others. And, and I think, and I had a, going to a Christian law school like Faulkner, I, I was very lucky to have Church of Christ for the most part, but at least all Christian professors. And, and the guy that I had for wills and trusts, his name was Thurston Reynolds. He had gone to 
Abilene Christian for, for his undergrad, then the University of Texas for law school, and he actually also had a D-min from ACU, so a very biblically-minded guy, very, very deep. And, and this was a passage he would talk about quite a bit in a wills and trusts law school class that your last act of stewardship on this earth is the estate planning that you did. When you die, that's your last opportunity to live out Matthew 25. And that always really struck a chord with me. Because I have to say, before I went to law school, I never really thought about these things as really keys or ingredients of being a Christian or living out the scriptures. And I think the more you learn about these things and the more you talk about them and the more you think on them, you realize some of these things, some of these spiritual responsible things really are biblical. Some of these things that, that, that involve our stuff and our money and how it affects people when we die really affects who we are as a Christian, the influence that we leave. And then this was a verse he used to use a lot. And I, this one will really, I mean, this is kind of one of those, the verse when the preacher reads it or says it and you kind of look around and you think, oh, that, <laughs> that hits a little too close for home. Ecclesiastes 2.21 says this, for a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns <laughs> to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. And, and who better to write this than Solomon, right? I mean, Solomon understands this. And, 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 and let's, let's make sure we don't take out of context or misread what's going on here. I mean, he's not saying well, you better not leave anything. But what he's saying is, be smart in who you leave your stuff to. Think about it. How many times, you've heard the term trust fund baby, right? Trust fund child. Typically, is that a term of endearment that we give somebody? Typically not. Typically, a trust fund baby does not know how to do what? Work. A lot of times, they haven't had to work a day in their life. Everything has been handed to them. Megan and I have some friends in Mariana that have been friends of my family for years, and, and the wife is, I think, about 60, the, the husband's in his 50s, and, and neither of them worked because he was an only child. His dad was a doctor. His, his, his aunt was a doctor, and he's got a trust fund from both of them and he gets about $50,000 every three months and doesn't have to do anything. And they travel all over the country, and it's kind of lazy. <laughs> kind of lazy. Good guy would do, if somebody here had a need, he would do anything for you. But doesn't work. And, and Solomon is saying here, and, and this gets kind of repeated, there's, there's a verse in Isaiah that kind of echoes what Solomon's talking about, that be smart. Don't, in your death, hinder somebody in their life. If you've got somebody that you're thinking about when you're figuring out who you're going to leave things to in your will and your trust, one of the neat things about a trust is a trust you can set, we're going to talk about this here in a little bit, you can set requirements. They have educational trusts. And you know, maybe you've left some money, but that kid can't touch it till they've graduated college. They can't touch it until they've completed three years in the real world after 
college or after a master's degree or after a doctorate degree. You can set requirements. You can make them work for it. And, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. But I just I appreciate you guys being here on a Wednesday night. And I just I wanted to have an opportunity both nights to, to tie a little bit of the scripture aspect in. So tonight we're talking about what is a trust? A trust, if you can see that, is a legal arrangement that involves the transfer of property from the original owner to a person or company. The trust holds and maintains the property for the benefit of a specific individual with people or institution. So just like when we talked about with a will, it doesn't just have to be for a certain person. In a trust, it can be you know, for the people of small group number one of Cornerstone Church of Christ. It can be to the Cornerstone Church of Christ. It can be to the elders. You know, you can choose certain people. You can narrow down groups. So then the next question typically is, okay, so we know what a trust is. What does it do? Well, this legal arrangement of a trust will hold any property in a tax-free account until distributions are made to people or institutions other than the donor, depending on the kind of trust, and there's several kinds of trust, we're going to discuss those, and the beneficiary, or until the entire trust is turned over to a beneficiary. And if you're hearing some of those terms and you say, I have no idea what those are, we're going to define those here in a second. But a, a couple reasons to have a trust is that there are some good possible tax exemptions. But just like I talked about with, with wills last week, as you get more complicated with trusts and as you try to figure out more of the tax exemptions and, and how those work and if you would be um, in a situation where you would receive one of those on your trust, these are more of the questions as you get into those that you really need an attorney or an estate planner to help you with that. So the basic idea behind a trust is to set aside a specific um, property for a specific people or institution so that you, not the courts, decide what happens to your estate. So with a will, even though you're deciding what's happening, it still has to run through the courts through the probate office or through the probate court. With a trust, a trust never has to go to the courts. You never have to record it. You never have to pay to have it filed. A trust stays completely out of court. And because of that, it stays a little bit more private. Some people choose trusts over wills because if you end up having to probate a will, a will <clears throat> becomes a public record. Now, you're dead. You probably don't care at that point. But people can go if they want to and see exactly what the will says. And because of this, trusts don't typically get contested as much as wills do because sometimes people might not ever be able to see what the trust says to be able to contest it. When something becomes public knowledge, like a will, it makes it a little easier for somebody to go and see it and be able to contest it. <clears throat> now, knowing what you want to put into the trust, who benefits from the trust, and the price to be paid are all things you figure out 
in setting up a trust. There are setup fees, taxes, time, um, and it's, it's, it's usually essential to try to figure out what the best trust is for you. And because of this, there's <clears throat> probably over a dozen types of trusts, and we're going to talk about a couple <clears throat> in a minute. But before we get to that, I want us to talk about the components of a trust. The first one you see up there is the trustor. The trustor is the person who sets up the trust. So if you're the one putting the trust together, you would be the trustor. The next is a beneficiary. You heard that word quite a bit in one of those descriptions. A beneficiary is the individual or the groups or institution who will receive the property in the trust. So if Megan and I are setting up an educational trust for the child we don't have yet, we would be the trustors, and the child would be the beneficiary. Then you have the trustee. The trustee is the person or company that will oversee the trust once it's established. So, so Megan and I create the educational trust for the trustor. It's for the child. He's the beneficiary. She's the beneficiary. And then we decide, you know what, this is kind of to work if, if we were to, to pass away. So our trustee will be Jason. So Jason will be the one in charge of following the rules that we lay out in the trust. You know, if it, that he doesn't start dispersing the trust until the child completes the first year of college, or if it's that the child gets, <clears throat> you know, $1,000 every four months, whatever, Jason would be the one that we would set in charge as the trustee to follow those commands. And then you ha can have a successor trustee. So, you know, if, if we're afraid that maybe Jason's not going to be around or Jason doesn't feel like he can live up to, to what we've asked him to do, we can have a successor trustee, kind of like in a will. You have the executor and an alternate executor. It's, it's your backup. It's so that you have someone there in case just, you know, if something was to happen where the trustee cannot do it. Then you have different types of trusts, and there's a bunch. I, I chose just a couple that I, that I thought would either maybe be the most beneficial for us or some of the most common. Now, there's, there's more out there, but, but these are the ones that I thought I would just kind of touch on the most. Now, now, keep in mind that trusts can be set up for several reasons. One, they can be set up to take place while you're alive. And if you set up a trust while you're alive, that's considered an inner vivos trust. Then you have trust, just like, you know, we call it your last will and testament. A trust that takes place after you've passed away is called a testamentary trust. Then there's two types of trusts after that. One that can be changed, that's a revocable trust. And then you have trusts that can't be changed, that's an irrevocable trust. One of the most common type of trusts you're going to see is a living revocable trust. That means I, I, I make it, it's to, to be in effect while I'm living, and it's revocable. It's very rare to see a living irrevocable trust because that means you can't go in and change anything. Things have to stay that way. Just like I talked about last week where I, I would not do a joint will because just like with the joint will, once the person the other person dies, you can't change anything. In an irrevocable trust, you can't change anything. So, so the first trust 
that I want to talk about is a burial trust. A burial trust provides all the funds necessary to cover the cost of your burial or cremation arrangements. I, I highly suggest these. If, if you want to take, we talked about last week, the different stages of grief, the, the time that it can take for your family to, to grieve, and they go through anger, and, and they're, they're sad. If you have a burial trust, and all they have to do, and everything's already all laid out, the money's there, they've already picked out exactly, you know, what, you know, they, they want a blue coffin, they already have all this figured out, you've just taken a lot of burden off of your family. And Jason talked about last week, after I was up here, that he spent Thanksgiving Day trying to figure stuff out for his brother's funeral. You know, my grandfather passed away about a month ago, and he's a Florida resident that was living, him and my grandmother were, were living with my parents in Kansas. They had to, he already had a plot in Alford, Florida to be buried in, and they had to fly the body from Kansas, but the closest airport that would do it was Denver, Colorado, which was five hours away, and it was snowing, and Denver had, had to um, cancel a lot of flights, so he died on a Saturday night. They couldn't even get the body to Tallahassee until the following Friday. And so when my mom from Kansas and my aunt from South Carolina are trying to get all this figured out, the <coughs> um, funeral home in Florida won't let them plan anything until they know for sure when they're going to have the body. And then they've got to figure out what kind of coffin, and they've got to figure out all this stuff. And a burial trust can take away all of that burden. I, I, I highly suggest thinking about one of those. Another type is a charitable trust. As a church, maybe you've seen some of these, or you've heard about them, or maybe you've, you've helped with an organization or a nonprofit organization, and you've seen a, a charitable trust. But a charitable trust offers the benefits of tax-free gifts for the, for the donors. So you see a lot of times when people donate um, and, and set up charitable trusts, a lot of times that is for a tax break. Then you've got, which I've mentioned several times, and this is one that I think is, is, is very efficient and a very good idea, and that's an educational trust. This sets aside money for specifically education-related expenses, and, and you are in charge of that. You get to set up exactly how you want it to be laid out. I mean, you can get as specific enough as that this trust is specifically if you go to Lipscomb University, you know, or if you go here, and if they don't, they... <laughs> They don't get it. You, you get to set the requirements on that. Um, then you've got, and this I just always have thought this is a funny name for a trust, the crummy trust. I mean, you wouldn't think that someone would want to set up a crummy trust, but listen, listen to what it is, and it's pretty complicated. It's a complicated trust normally set up in conjunction with irrevocable. This is one of the few situations where I might say think about an irrevocable trust an irrevocable life insurance trust to make the payments for a life insurance policy. This is the kind of trust that requires an estate planning attorney. This is very complicated, very difficult, um, <clears throat> and is one that, that I am still trying to learn quite a bit about. I've yet to do one of these. They're, they're very fascinating to me. Uh, I don't deal a whole lot with life insurance policies and all, a lot of times I'll have someone in a will that will make mention 
of the life insurance policy. I've yet to do a trust like that, though. Then, then you've got a living trust. Like I said, this is one of the most common ones. They're created while you're still alive, and this trust allows you to be the grantor, trustee, and even beneficiary if you choose. I did a, uh, a living trust for a guy not too long ago. Him and his wife were the trustors. Him and his wife were the um, grantors, and they were the trustees. Now, they had successor trustees, but it was just basically to, <laughs> to cover all their stuff and just try to save some tax money on that. But their property and that trust, they just did not want it to go through the courts when they passed away. Then you've got a marital dedication trust. This puts properly into a trust that is exclusively for your spouse. And then you decide, you know, she decides or he decides what happens to the property after your death. This is a good way to protect stuff just your spouse. Um, and so, as you see, there's a lot of different trusts that you can have. I mean, well, I might not mention one tonight and say, hey, is there one for this? There probably is. Or you could change it to benefit exactly what you needed it to do. There's, there's a minor trust. It's a way to give gifts to minors that avoid the gift tax. There's a spendthrift trust, a trust that's set up for someone who will not be able to handle their own affairs, maybe you know, someone that's autistic or mentally incompetent. Uh, and what this does, another situation is someone you want to leave money for, but you know they're not financially responsible and you're afraid they'll blow it on drugs or something like this. It allows the person to, to make the payments on that person's behalf. So you never actually put the money in their hands. You know, this person, that money's put in the trust so that this person, uh, the person you make the trustee pays their car bill, pays their phone bill, pays for their college, you know, maybe goes with them and pays for food and stuff, but you never actually put the, put the money in their hands because you either think they're not capable or they're not trustworthy and you, you're afraid they would spend the money on things they shouldn't. Uh, then you've got a Totten Trust. And, and this is a bank account that upon your death immediately passes to the name beneficiary. So say that rather than having your <coughs> um, bank account go directly into your state when you die, you decide, you know what, I just want my child or my nephew or, or whoever just to have everything that's in this bank account, you can set up a trust just for that um, specifically. So the next thing I want to look at is some questions to consider before meeting with an estate planner. These are some things for, for you to, to think about, to, to mull over yourself before you go maybe talk to an attorney or talk to an estate planner, things to discuss with a spouse, uh, maybe with your kids. <clears throat> First is, what are the tax consequences for this trust? What are, what are the, the consequences of the taxes going to be? You know, and, and, and that's something a lot of times as you discuss it and you think about it, you might have some specific concerns to then ask the estate planner. One of the reasons to ask yourselves these things and to talk about them is some of these questions you're not going to know the answers to. You're going to want to write those down and make sure you ask the guy that's going to help you do this what they think about it. Uh, what are the capital gains going to be? And then kind of weigh those. Weigh the risks you know, ver versus, <coughs> versus the pros. Ver ver weigh the cons and figure out what's best. Here, here's a big question. What happens to the leftovers in a trust? You know, a lot of times 
if your attorney does it right, there's a possibility that maybe he overestimated on the taxes, so there might be some leftover money there. Where's that going to go? What, what do you want done with that? What do you want done with the leftover cash or property and everything else? Who do you want that to go to? Once again, figuring all this stuff out eliminates opportunities for there to be fighting after you pass away. The next one will be, will there be a problem if the trust beneficiary dies before you do? Do you have alternatives? Do you have somebody else in mind? If, if you've set up this big education trust for a child and that child dies before you do, what are you going to do with it? What, 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 are, what are some other options? Um, what happens if the terms of a trust are not met? Let's say, what if little Bobby quits school before his educational trust is spent? You set up this, I don't know, two or $300,000 trust account for him to go to college, and after his sophomore year, he says, yeah, I think I'm just going to stay at home and play video games. Uh, I think I'm just going to do something else. What's going to happen to it? Where's that money going to go now? Or when does a specific use, use trust terminate? For example, say Aunt Susan's disability trust is still in place after she dies. She dies and there's still some property or some money. Where's that going to go? Who do the leftovers go to? What do you want to do with it? These are all questions a lot of times that <clears throat> we don't think about. Um, what happens to an irrevocable trust if the situation changes? What are the advantages and disadvantages for a single person in setting up a trust? What happens if some of the property in your trust is community property and you divorce? That happens a lot. Spouses put some community property in, they, they own it jointly, and then they divorce. And all of a sudden, the beneficiary becomes the victim of your divorce. What would be the situation in a case like that? If you end up divorced, what happens to the educational trust fund that mom and dad are funding for little Billy? There was a case not too long ago where there was a situation where a case went almost up to the Supreme Court because they'd figured out custody and they'd figured out all these things, but they were fighting over what do we do with this trust? We'd set up this trust for, for his education, but I don't really want you to have it anymore. And, you know, fighting back and forth. These are all questions to consider. They're all questions to talk about. And then there's some things, and some of these can be kind of funny. There's some things that can affect the legality and terms of a trust. Um, the first is a foreign-born spouse. Um, a non-biological family member. My favorite is number six on their pets. When people set up a, a trust and they leave $50,000 to their dog. And that happens. And you can do that. And then when the dog dies, it just passes to somebody else. But, but sometimes this can, can, can make them um, illegal or, or make the legality kind of questionable and, and kind of hold things up. Um, Same-sex couples uh, living together as opposed to formal or common law Marriage, this can cause some issues. You know, since 1997, Georgia has not recognized common law marriage. So 
you know, there's still some states you live together with someone for seven years, you're considered married. That doesn't happen in Georgia. So if you, what happens though sometimes, and you might know some people like this, they live with someone, they start to referring to them as their spouse. They're not actually their spouse. They go to an attorney and say, yeah, my spouse. And then that person dies and they find out, wait, they were never legally married. There's no marriage certificate. They never took the last name. That can cause some issues. <coughs> Adoption sometimes. And a lot of times, <coughs> why there can be some legality issues is if names aren't changed or proper paperwork was not filed or things weren't, social security cards weren't changed, if things weren't sent to vital records. And so typically there's going to be a lot of these things you discuss with your estate planner. And my hope is uh, in, in discussing all these things, these will be things that you think about, well, hey, the estate planner I talked to never mentioned this. I need to make sure they answer these things. And I know this can be a little bit, trusts are still to some degree a little bit of knowledge overload for me. The wills last week, that's one of my big passions. I really like those. They're kind of more down at my level. I get them a little bit more. Trust, trust can be big deal, the kind of a little over your head sometimes as you have an idea of what you specifically want to do and you sit down and we can talk through it, there's ways to kind of, you know, talk a little bit more, maybe on a level where we both understand what's going on. But you see some of the other things up there, pets, divorce, multiple marriages, um, permanent disabilities, there's a few other things that <coughs> can affect the legality of a trust. And so you might be asking yourself, what would be the benefits? You know, I've, I've heard these things. I've heard some of the legal issues. I, I've heard some of the aspects and some of the components of a trust. But, but how would a trust benefit me? Well, one, some trusts can reduce the amount of taxes that have to be paid before and after you die. And, you know, being 30 now, and I'm sure it'll even be different in a couple years, I appreciate situations in where I can get tax reductions maybe more than I did when I was 15 or 16. Hear my parents talk about taxes. I had no idea. I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of taxes, as I guess a lot of you probably aren't. So, so for some people, finding ways that they can have tax reductions, finding ways that they can help out their family, that's a big deal to them, and trust can benefit that. Another way... A trust can protect your assets from your creditors uh, or protect them for your beneficiaries. Uh, and that can be a, a big deal. There's ways that we can, we can look to do that. Uh, a third thing is <clears throat> a trust can keep your estate out of probate court, and it's more difficult to contest than a will. And, and like I, I said a little bit at the beginning, some people want their stuff to be private. They don't want people to know what they had. They don't know want people to know who they gave stuff to or how much money they're giving somebody after they die. A trust is definitely, if, you, if you're a very secretive person, if you don't like people knowing your business, if you don't want people knowing what you have, a trust is probably, now obviously, your estate planner, your attorney, your accountant, somebody's going to have to know what you have and what's going on to help you. But <clears throat> as I talked about last week, you come in and talk to an attorney, talk to your estate planner, everything you discuss with that person is confidential. So everything you discuss with them stays between you and them. You know, we, <clears throat> we take an oath 
of confidentiality that we can't discuss what you tell us with anybody else. Um, another thing a benefit to a trust is a trust is a flexible, <coughs> um, <coughs> a trust is flexible and it allows you to make changes regularly and can even help with financial issues if you become disabled. Now obviously that would be a revocable trust as opposed to irrevocable. I guess I should have set up a test or a quiz or something at the end. But those are some of the benefits. Now, <clears throat> now, like I said, wills are a little bit easier to chop down for a 30 to 40 minute talk. Trusts are a little bit more difficult. So I know some of that, you might have to get the, the CD and listen to it a few times. And you might still say, I have no idea what he's talking about. But you, like I, I said, I passed out some cards last week. You can call me. You can email me. I'm willing to discuss any of this with you. And there might be some of these things that I'm learning with you as we as we figure them out. I, I figure out every day there's something new that I learn, and that's one of the things I really like about this profession. Another thing I told you I would talk about tonight are, are, are some other documents, some documents aside from wills and trusts that kind of deal with estate planning and even more specifically with, with, with health care and your care as you're still alive. One of those is a power of attorney, and, and we're going to mention power of attorneys in the next couple slides, and I've just given that, that <clears throat> the abbreviation of POA, and a power of attorney is the authority to act for another person in a specified or all legal or financial affairs. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about those in just a second, but I would suggest that if, if you have a parent over the age of 70 and, and you live in the same town as them and, and they're starting to get a little bit older, and it's getting a little harder for them to drive, if their handwriting's not getting real good, uh, if, if, if they're getting a little forgetful, thinking about getting them a power of attorney, or if you're in this situation and you have a child, getting a power of attorney can be a very big benefit to you. It, it, it can really help you out. We're going to talk a little bit about that more in a second. Uh, another document is a living will. So we talked about wills after you pass away last week. A living will is a written statement detailing a person's desires regarding their medical treatment in circumstances in which they are no longer able to express informed consent. Um, it says, especially in an advanced directive. An advanced directive is another way you can do this. So, some hospitals allow you to just get an advanced directive from them. You can find some of these documents um, <clears throat> on the internet. There again, I still am leery sometimes because there, there's some specific rules you want to follow. I've, I've looked at some of the documents they have online, and sometimes they'll have an advanced directive online that does not have a spot to have two witnesses and a notary public. And, and I will go ahead and tell you, anything that's dealing with a will or a trust or a power of attorney or a living will or an advanced directive, you're going to want witnesses and you're going to want a notary public. Because the notary public is, is the same as taking the oath, like we talked about last week. And, and witnesses are <clears throat> so that if anything ever gets questioned, if anything ever, well, I, I don't think they knew what they were doing. They can go to the witnesses, and they can, the witnesses can be your proof that, yes, that was read to them. They said they understood it. I saw them sign it. Because if someone wants to contest it 
and you don't have a notary public, and you don't have two witnesses, it might get thrown out. So that's something to think about. So I want to talk a little bit about some facts you should know about power of attorneys. Probably the most common is just a general power of attorney. Sometimes this is called a durable power of attorney. You've probably heard this term. Um, <clears throat> your power of attorney agent in this situation would have broad legal authority over your affairs. This includes medical. This includes over your property, over your money. That does not mean you don't have control anymore. What this means is... <clears throat> You know, I'm getting really shaky. I can't really write anymore. I've gotten very forgetful. I don't know when I'm supposed to send the light bill in. I don't know when I'm supposed to do these things. And so I have my child. Now, I'm talking as though I was a lot older than I am and I had an adult child. I'm having my child <clears throat> to where they can now write checks for me and send it to the light bill company. I'm having them able to go and cash checks for me. I'm having them take care of these things. Now there's also situations in which you can get a special power of attorney. This can be special for a number of reasons. One, it can for, be for a duration of time. There's a company in our town um, that, that's a manufacturing company and every time their CEO goes into town, he has me come do a power of attorney for him. If something was to happen during that time while he's gone, something was to happen to him, he puts his president, uh, his power of attorney over him, that he could make decisions on behalf of the company. And will do it for the duration of while he's gone. Say like from, you know, Friday to Wednesday, Friday to Thursday, something like that. Um, another thing you can do with the special POA is you can get it real specific. Say you're an older lady, you're in your 80s, uh, you have somebody go and get groceries for you every Tuesday. And so your specific power of attorney says that so-and-so every Tuesday has permission to write around a $100 check at Publix for your groceries. <coughs> Funny story about this, a couple years ago there was a case in uh, Columbus where there was a specific power of attorney that this older lady who could not get around, could not drive, did a specific power of attorney for a young girl in her early 20s. And this girl had the checkbook every week to go get groceries. Well, all of a sudden, the older lady gets a call from her bank and says that she has no more funds in her bank. And her specific power of attorney gave her the ability to spend $80 every Tuesday. Somehow, she thought that meant that on the side, she could get her boyfriend a big screen TV, video games, season tickets to the Atlanta Falcons, and was just living large on this lady's bank account. Needless to say, when the specific power of attorney was shown in court, she had no chance. And so when you have a specific power of attorney, that person, your agent that you name in there, has to obey by the guidelines that you set. Now typically, <coughs> I would suggest only having an agent as a power of attorney over you as someone that you really, really trusted. I don't know the ins and outs of that case. I don't know how well this lady knew this person. I definitely wouldn't put out a Craigslist ad looking for someone to be your power of attorney. That's probably not something 
that I would suggest. I'm thinking more your kids, maybe a best friend, but Megan and I have seen even situations where, with friends where we're, I, I, don't, I don't like this. It makes me uneasy, you know. So in any of these things, but especially a power of attorney, some really serious consideration needs to go into the people that you pick. For your agent or your power of attorney, this isn't just something to say, well, you know, that guy in church that sits a few rows over, I can't remember his name, but he seems like a nice guy. I think I'll have him do it. No, this needs to be someone that you have a relationship with. This needs to be someone that you trust very, very deeply. Someone that there is just no way, no way they would do anything to misplace your trust. No way that they would misspend your money. Because the thing about a power of attorney is this is putting this person in control of you and your decisions and your money in some of your most vulnerable times. So think about those things very seriously. Now, to create a power of attorney, you'll need to compose and sign a document. Now, we, we've got documents that we use. Um, granting this authority, you have to have two adult witnesses sign, a notary public, and, and there again, a lot of the ones you're going to find on the Internet, they don't have a page for the actual agent to sign. I make the agent sign. You know, if, if I'm giving power of attorney over me to Hunter, as the attorney, I want to know Hunter knows exactly what he's getting into. I want there to be signed under oath in a situation like that situation in Columbus. You know, if I'm the attorney, I want to be able to show to the judge, see, he knew what he was getting into. This wasn't just signed over to him. This wasn't just handed to him. He signed before an attorney. He signed before a notary public that he understood what he was doing. He understood what he was getting himself into. Um, and that's something to look for if you ever try to just get one of these off the Internet. The Internet's not always going, you know, a lot of times these, what do they call them, rocket lawyer or rocket attorney, these different websites they have online. A lot of times these people aren't attorneys, and if they are attorneys at the time that they make some of these things, and I'm, I'm not really sure why an attorney would sell his livelihood or put it for free on the internet, you know, these forms and these things. But a lot of times, those don't conform to rules of different states. You know, a lot of times, you get on rocketlawyer.com, they don't have things for specific states. They might require different things in Georgia than they require in New Jersey. They probably require different things in New Jersey than they require in Arizona. So that's why a lot of these things, it's, it's important to consult an attorney. To cancel a power of attorney, there's several things you have to do. The first is you have to shred the document. But sometimes things get shredded, right? We don't mean for them to. You know, three-year-olds like Miles like to tear things up. That doesn't necessarily mean you wanted it shredded. You then have to also orally revoke the power of attorney. You have to orally say, no longer wish for this power of attorney to be in effect. Someone has to witness that revocation, and then we will have a form in which we have you sign that you voluntarily know what you're doing and you wish for the power of attorney to no longer be in effect. Like we talked about last week, when you die, your power of attorney dies. You can't have power of, uh, power of attorney over someone who's no longer living. 
And we talked about the situation last week where someone will put their will in their safety lock deposit box at the bank and say, oh, it's fine. My son's got power of attorney over me. And then that person dies and the son can't get back there because the power of attorney died when the individual died. So what do I do with my power of attorney? One of the first things you want to do for it to be valid is you're going to want to record it with your county's clerk of court so it will be recorded on file. It will be, I know in Seminole County, I can't tell you for Thomas County, but in Seminole County it will be in the deed record book. Like when I go do a um, title search on a deed, you see power of attorneys in there. When people have me do the power of attorney, we actually are the ones that go and file it for them, but you want it on record. Um, I suggest you make several copies. Have your agent, the person that you're going to have be your power of attorney, have them keep it with him or her. They're going to need that when you take it to, to banks or doctors or insurance companies or whoever you're going to need to know that this person has power of attorney over you. And then just one of the last things I want to discuss real quick. I mentioned this last week. I know we're 8 o'clock on the end, right? So we're right at time. Um, a survivorship deed in and of itself isn't maybe necessarily an estate planning tool, but it, it, it becomes one. A, a, a survivorship deed is something, it says right here, creates a joint tenancy between two or more grantees, and it facilitates the transfer of property rights from the deceased grantee to the surviving grantee. And what this does is, and I just, I just did one Monday, had, had a uh, wife and husband come in. It was their second marriage. They're both in about their upper 50s, early 60s. She'd been married before. He'd been married before. So when they got married, they moved on to her piece of property. And so it was just in her name. The house is just in her name. She's got some adult kids now. He's got some adult kids. She doesn't want the kids fighting over the house. She wants the husband to have it. So they came to me. So we create a survivorship deed. So what that does is she deeds over the property from herself to now herself and her husband. And we put language in there that says when, you know, they own it jointly, and when one dies, it goes directly to the other one. Now, if you remember last week, I told you about some clients, and I told you about client B, who didn't do a survivorship deed. He did a warranty deed when he deeded it over from himself, to himself and his wife, and the proper language was not in there. So when she died, it died as her having a half interest, and half of that half interest went to him, and half of that half interest, because she didn't have a will, divided between the kids. So a survivorship deed cuts all of that out. You definitely want to have a survivorship deed on property like that if you're just being stubborn and don't want a will. Um, a survivorship deed will make that so much easier. I did a survivorship deed not too long ago. You don't have to be married in Georgia for a survivorship deed. Did one for a, a, uh, a single woman in her 70s. She's been a widow twice, and uh, she just wants to make sure the property goes to her daughter when she dies. So she did a survivorship deed to her and her daughter, and as soon as she dies, it goes straight to the daughter. So a survivorship deed to me is, is something that, if you're married especially, you, you want both names 
on the deed. And you want to make sure you have the proper language on there that if something was to happen to you, the property goes right to the next spouse. Um, so what if you don't have one? Um, this is more speaking about if <clears throat> only one name is on the deed. I, I, I know in older times it was pretty normal that just the husband's name was on everything. I've dealt with a few cases like that, and I can tell you that can be a nightmare in a situation where there is no will when the husband dies. So there's two or three things you can do for that one. Make sure you get a will. I don't know how many plugs I can make for that, but make sure you have a will. But two, start doing some of these things like survivorship deeds. Start doing things to go ahead and make the process easier for when you do die. Get, get your other, get your, not your other spouse, get your spouse's <laughs> name on there. Protect them. Um, and, and I had here just at the end, I was going to open it up. I didn't know exactly how long this would take, but I'll, I'll be up here again for some questions. I just, I just want to leave you with a few things. One, I want to thank you just again for doing this. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, I, I hope it's been beneficial. Um, like I said, I know I've already gotten one email of somebody that, that has asked that, that I helped them on some stuff, and I am excited about that. Do not hesitate to call, email. Um, you know, if, if, if you can't get one of the cards, I know Jason has some in the back, but if you want to do one of these questionnaires, you know, I'll send updates sometimes. If, you, if you're on Facebook, every once in a while on Facebook, we will uh, have some updates a couple times throughout the week of, of just some, some little tidbits and facts, just some information. I know Jason's asked before, can I share this? You don't have to ask. You can always share it and get, get the name out there. Um, but, but like us on Facebook, it's just Baldwin Attorney at Law, um, LLC. Um, but, but one thing I want to leave you with again is even if you have a will, I encourage you every five or six years, take the will out and look at it. I think I told you last week, my entire life I had heard my grandparents say, oh, yeah, we've got a will. And then when we finally took it out, it was from 1959 before my mom and aunt had ever even been born. And so the <laughs> their will was void, voided by the birth of their daughters. So take that will out every five or six years. You might not have some property anymore that you had five years ago. You might have more property. There might be not just one, but two or three now kids now that call you mom or dad that you didn't have five years ago. So I, I, I greatly encourage that. Um, the, the big thing I want to leave you with, too, is like we talked about at the beginning, I think one of the best things we can do as Christians is, is be good stewards of that of which God has given us, and, and to carry out um, the great commission that, that has been given to us by Christ. You know, Jesus gave us his will, his last words on earth. I always, I joke with some clients sometimes, it's pretty well known, you know, Jason gives me a hard time, are you a scribe today, or are you a Pharisee? Um, it's pretty well known in town that I'm the, the preacher lawyer, so get to have quite a few religious conversations in my office. Um, so that opens up sometimes to get to have prayer with some clients, but to get to talk, talk scripture. And I'll, I'll say sometimes, you know, I wish I could do what Jesus did, and rather than have to write it all out, I could just come back from the dead and say exactly how I wanted things to be done. 
But I really hope you will, will, will take this seriously. I really hope that you won't put your family in some of the situations that I mentioned last week where in a time where they should really just be dealing with the loss of someone that meant a lot to them, they're able to say, whew, they took care of this for us. They put us in a good position, and, and, and we're thankful for that. So once again, thank you. Um, we, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. I know there was a few of you last time that, that waited for a while, so uh, you get to talk to me first this week when we're done. But uh, thanks again. Let's say a prayer, and then I'll turn it back over to Jason. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. I'm just so thankful for the Cornerstone Church of Christ here. I'm so thankful for the good works they're doing for you, the, the love they have for you, and just the, the great worship that they have here, and just the hearts they have here to just love one another and, and love those in this community and just become closer to you and become closer to one another. And we're just thankful for the time we've had these last two weeks to talk about the spiritual responsibility of estate planning. And I ask that you will help all of us in here to, to, to give this some serious thought that we will <clears throat> just take care of our business on this earth, that we will be good stewards with that which you have blessed us, and that we will think long and hard and put time and preparation into this, that it won't be something that we take lightly, that it won't be something that we just leave to those that, that are still here when we die and just make them take care of it. I ask that uh, you be with all of us here, that, that, that you continue to bless our lives deeply, that, that not only will we be, we be blessed, but in return we will bless those we come in contact with. I just uh, am so thankful uh, for, for Jason, for Bethany, for, for their boys, and just uh, for, for the great family they are and for what they mean to this church and, and the great work they're doing here. For, for this eldership and just all of these people here, I just ask you continue to bless them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.